This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Today's episode of Motherfuck Lore is brought to you by the listeners who have supported the show on Patreon. Listeners like Aileen Lockery and Tommaso Canila. And now, the show. of Podcast Network, but not from Heads of Studios. Welcome to Mother Folklore, the Quarantine Sessions. I'm Derek O'Shea. And I'm Pader O'Quivonic. Hey, you're not Pader, you mind yourself? Yeah, yeah, Grant. Uh, hitting a little bit of quarantine fatigue at this stage, but we are into, what are we, in phase three now? We can travel, we can we can see the country. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. want to know when, when hugs are back in. Like, I'm telling you, I, I miss hugs. Yeah. <laughs> I miss hugs and I miss seeing people and I have not had a pint since in a pub. Like I actually hadn't been for a pint in a while before this whole thing kicked off. Yeah. So yeah. Same as that. And mind, mind you though, like the pubs are just reopened and I'm I'm kinda I'm not going near them for a while. Like mm. I'm not drinking I'm not drinking function room Guinness. Uh, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know like you know when you go when you go to a twenty first or a fortieth and it's in the function room of the guy club, the bar that's only opened at the weekends for the parties. Oh, yeah. and the Guinness is meldy because there's no run on it. I'm gonna wait until I'm gonna wait at least a week, I think. And then maybe yeah. I might go for a pint then. Definitely. I think it's a classic case of the second mouse gets the cheese in these situations. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes indeed. But I think um quarantine era has definitely made people a bit tetchy a bit you know quick to snap and it's been a fun old fun old week on the internet specifically <laughs> specifically last friday um comic relief was on and we are we're recording this week but so listeners it'll be up in a week a week since when, when listeners are listening on friday comic relief featured um one of ireland's most talented musicians Niall Oren. Yes, yeah, indeed, yeah, rocking away, rocking away, and you know we, we've discussed him on the show before. A um, a, a solid Midlands man, uh, <laughs> an excellent accent doer, a great singer songwriter, and by all accounts, a, a very reasonable and decent person with a good sense of humour. Uh, was on, and he he received a comic roast of sorts by one of, <laughs> by a, a unique Irish national figure. Yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Indeed. Ireland's favorite turkey. <laughs> Ireland's favorite turkey, Dustin. So it's, this is one of the things that's really hard to explain to people from outside Ireland because it, there's nothing quite like Dustin in the various other um, t- television cultures, in the pop culture satire, politics overlaps in other places. That there's nothing quite like Dustin. So I actually think he deserves a whole episode. 
Right. Okay. That's fine. Uh, if that's what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, it's your podcast. If Dustin's your only man, <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> this came up because I was initially researching a different topic. And I was, I've, I've been researching it. And a forthcoming episode is going to be about Hiberno English words that came from television, specifically advertising, as opposed to actual, far, the amount of expressions that have entered through advertising compared to from actual scripted television is, remar- is remarkable in bots. And I mean, when you think of if you stop the lights being the most obvious expression that's come from a TV show. Like Sally O'Brien and the way she might look at you. Exactly. And on, <laughs> on file in a filing cabinet and so forth. <laughs> so in this process of the imbalance, I was looking up the expression gas man or that's gas, trying to find out where it was. And then it, it did occur to me this actually, um, I think this may have been popularized on Gay Burns radio show. Right. Okay. Yeah. So he he did think that people were gas, all right, and that's that, you know, gas tickets and gas men abounded on Gay Burns Radio Show. But yeah, but then I, it, it struck me that we discussed before how there's a, a famous Dublin expression referring to a landmark and the, and the border between um, Amiens Street and Ballybock. Ah, uh, yeah, I know it. <laughs> Do you know the five lamps then? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> and I know what I can hang off them. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, so and one of the funny things about this particular one is that Dustin hasn't actually said, to my knowledge, do you know the five lamps? But he's he has basically, in the context of his TV show, he has created the Dustin personality is, is a certain Dublin personality. And so and because officially it's a creation for children, is you know there's very he doesn't swear but he 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 does some swear replacement. <laughs> yeah, I believe that's, that's a nice term. way of putting it. All right, yeah. Absolutely. So he says, "Was he's get up the garden? Is that his? Get up, yeah, get up, get out of that garden and get up the yard. Get up the yard is basically his. Do you know the five lamps? Yeah, yeah, and and don't forget, get out of that garden. Get out of the garden. <laughs> Which you know isn't isn't a maybe historically Dublin expression, but it's, it's definitely something that people would say without even realizing it came from Dustin. Yeah, yeah, I think that I think there's plenty of those. Mm-hmm. I mean, he single handedly popularized and enshrined in Irish pop culture the the Long Mile Road, <laughs> which which was it was not the it was not the, the the pop culture mecca you know he meant it to be but uh, it's it's still it's there that and high ace fans completely and totally in our vernacular and 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 part of it was part of the landscape growing up simply because that was the dustin character and that's what he was talking about it is and so i'm going to we're going to go right back because he Okay, so for those for our international listeners, Dustin is officially a turkey, but some people say he's a vulture. He's a turkey vulture. So this is the thing. Initially, he was a character, Zig and Zag were um, two puppets on the den, and they were these um, um, chaotic alien alien double act. They were, um, from Planet Zog. From Planet Zog, and they also they also introduced some expressions to to hyperlingual English too, but the um, to the vernacular. But the they when one Christmas thing it was Christmas nineteen eighty nine. They basically they introduced a character who's a turkey who that they had gotten for Christmas, and the turkey did not realize that he was be, that, that, that his his fate was going to be a Christmas turkey's fate. And they, they often when Christmas came up, he'd be really excited about it. Not unlike Olaf in Frozen, be looking forward to summer. <laughs> 
And, yeah. and while yeah. he was very double, he was a slightly milder character in that stage, and that they, the, the rest of the cast on the den would be act slightly awkward when the topic of Christmas came up and how excited he was about it because he was, you know, he was going to. <laughs> and the flowers he was going to get cooked it was very dark humour for a kid's you know show what? that's it like I'm trying to think like, I remember this and I was five uh, at this stage and I remember watching all of this and seeing it happen and yeah looking back that is ridiculously dark like don't mention don't mention Christmas to the turkey because we are going to have to kill him and it will break our little hearts because he's so excited about Christmas and it was, and it was, it, it was, and this, this joke kind of built up and we were like, how's, how's this going to end? Was, <laughs> you know, elements of the Truman Show, kind of like, you know, this, what's going to happen to this turkey? Because, you know, the, the, I think it was actually on a Christmas Eve show in uh, 1989 when they announced he was actually a vulture. And there's this huge sigh of relief that he wasn't going to be eaten for Christmas. <laughs> he got the pardon, you know, the American tradition of the, the president pardoning a Christmas turkey. Mm-hmm. Or is it a Thanksgiving turkey? I'm not sure. It's, it's a Thanksgiving turkey. It's a Thanksgiving turkey, yeah. So he got he got the pardon, basically, and, and has been a fixture in the lives of Irish children. I, I don't know. Is it ever since? I mean, has he has he retired from the den, or is that, well, still, this, this is that is, still on? I think he truly transcends. That, <laughs> and, and specifically because at this point, he was a, such a popular character. He was, he was one of those, like um, the recently departed Jerry Stiller, who became, who it was just brought on for like one episode of Seinfeld and became one of his most popular characters because he absolutely sent it. Basically. <laughs> total carnage. <laughs> total carnage. And that the idea of calling a character in a kid's show Dustin um, was extraordinary because, like, how, what, what child has heard of Dustin Hoffman? Yeah, that, like that's his name, Dustin Hoffman. Like that, it's. I know that he's known popularly as Dustin the Turkey, mm-hmm. but when he was introduced, his name was Dustin Hoffman. Like the one of the most bankable movie stars at the time. I mean, I think it was about eighteen months after Rain Man. So, like, he he was he was an Oscar winning completely and totally bankable uh, character, uh, or sorry, actor, uh, and a real legit Hollywood A-lister, and all of a sudden here comes this turkey with the exact same name. Mm. It was it was a sort of a precursor to the uh, postmodernist humour of Blind Boy, uh, who for a while, his shtick on Twitter, uh, was posting pictures of animals, giving them funny names, and mm-hmm. then job job descriptions in the Rubber Bandits Corporation. Like, it's, uh, and it, this was way before that. This was 30-odd years before that. And, uh, yeah, oh, man, I'd just say, gas. And I'd say this, and I mean this, I think that we wouldn't have a blind boy, or, for that matter, a Russell Carroll Kelly, without Dustin kind of kicking those doors down first. Because it was within, 1989 was obviously the, was the year he was introduced. The following year was a interesting election in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So basically what we're building towards here now is the fact that uh, Ireland elected a female president, a woman as president for the first time mm-hmm. in 1990. Yes. And Mary Robinson chose to give one of her first media interviews to a children's television program. And during this interview of again i say again the head of state on a children's television program yes dustin the turkey told the president of ireland that she had smelly socks but it was dustin that i kept hearing about he said that i had smelly feet Uh-oh. i heard that he said that i had smelly feet well i don't know if he's going to come in and face the face the music yeah. Yeah. Oh, there he is. 
Like, with the sound. Oh, the bell mares are held the farm. Oh, Go on, say to him now. You know, I don't think, Dustin, you were in any position to be criticising me about smelly feet. Ooh. It wasn't me. It was Zog said it. Zog said it. He did. It was him. It was him. Did I? You did. It was you. Yeah. Yeah. Take the blame. Take the blame. And more than that, it was it was it was a phenomenal move from from for Mary Robinson to to do and I think it, it surprised and a lot of people I think imagined that her children were of the age they would have been Dustin fanatics but also it was a sensitive spot for him because he ran against her technically yeah and he got more votes than the Fine Gael candidate Austin Curry did in Tala <laughs> yes in Tala there are more well, he, basically he they, they created this routine and this hadn't been done before they, and this showed the kind of the spillover appeal that the actual that the den that this kids program had now and you just in, in that you had the spillover appeal where he basically ran this campaign and it was the on the lighter side of the news they'd stick these bits in where uh, it was how it, um where dustin would talk about his various election uh, election ideas and like moving the bringing the dart to dingle yeah <laughs> and that was his famous one and he was running for fina fowl and various other poultry puns but, the poultry um, party fina fowl the poultry party that's the one and then like and then from there he um in in Tala there are more spoiled votes indicating that a preference for Dustin than there were for Austin Curry who was a who had a very um uh hapless election campaign yeah I mean Austin Curry was always the also ran um like he wasn't uh he wasn't tipped to win it was Brian Lenehan's uh to lose yeah uh, so Curry was always going to finish a, a distant third um but yeah he um <laughs> he got soundly and resoundedly trashed by a um a turkey <laughs> that, that, is, that was that was the final humiliation and it was his transfers that that brought mary robinson over the line austin curry was added to the ticket fairly late he was kind of a um he was a he would have been a photogenic kind of civil rights veteran and was generally seen as a nice guy but he didn't have um he actually wasn't registered to vote in the Republic. And he was added to the ticket fairly late because I think um, Gareth Fitzgerald had been hemming and hawing about running. Yeah, I mean, he, he was he was down in the South. Like, I don't know if he was registered to vote, but he was a Chata Dala mm-hmm. at the time um, for what was then the the Dublin West constituency. Uh, oh. in the Yeah. Um, and uh, so he was, uh, um, like, he was a, a relatively popular enough uh, person himself and Jim Mitchell were the uh, the TDs for Fine Gael in the Dublin West constituency but like that as you say um, uh, Garrett Fitzgerald had obviously ultimately had, uh, ended up refusing the nomination so Fine Gael added him to the ticket at the very end and uh, yeah he um, he just he just bombed in the in the election, uh, but yeah, like you say, like he was a really really nice, likable character, an SDLP uh, MP uh, in the north, and a a longtime civil rights campaigner, had done a lot for equal rights in, in the six counties. Uh, but yeah, less popular than a turkey in Tala. And this really kind of, it, in some ways, has set the, the tone that that Dustin wasn't just kids TV anymore. That, that that basically that doesn't that that we um we, we while people have tried very hard to get kind of a um and a kind of political satire culture going in Ireland, it's never really 
caught on in some ways people say maybe that the, the reality of politics in Ireland it's actually hard to satirize sometimes because it's like where would you start um, would you would you invent something as ridiculous as some of the stories that have actually happened? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it is it's difficult to satirize some of the stuff that's gone on in recent years. But I think one of the things we've really lost sight of has been that old tradition of satire, uh, especially when it comes to, to to Irish politics. Like it used to be a case of of speaking truth to power, and like things like Hall's Pictorial Weekly and uh, Scratch Saturday and Scrap Saturday were just unreal they were just absolutely brilliant i mean i, I even i even remember uh listening to the the this the scrap saturday um impressions of charles hahi with my granddad who was mm-hmm. fianna fall through and through and who actually liked charlie hahi uh but even he found that kind of biting uh impressionism absolutely brilliant because it went to the character of people it spoke about their foibles and not just the voice i think that over the last couple of years with a few exceptions like Irish Pictorial Weekly done in the vein of Hall's Pictorial Weekly with with those notable exceptions um, most satire in Ireland has tend to go doesn't he have a funny voice doesn't she have a funny voice mm-hmm. and that's 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 really the length and breadth of it like there's not a lot of there's nothing that really makes you makes you really question the people that we've put into power anymore and that's that's kind of unfortunate but Dustin had no problem doing that none mm-hmm. at all None at all. And this is, and then I suppose the thing thing then is there was a, a gap in the market for somebody who was like this, who was a strange kind of raconteur figure, but also he had a very specifically Dublin sense of humor and that he had a very M50 mindset. Uh, yeah, before the M50 was built now. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> before the M50 mindset, he, he, he had a, a very dismissive view of the outer. <laughs> the rest of the the rest of, of the island of, of Colchis. He yes. he was he was notoriously anti Colchi. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and that was kind of that was kind of the shtick. It was a send up of the arrogance of of, of dubs. Because mm-hmm. we are arrogant. There is there is no doubt about it. Like it's just <laughs> it's completely and totally uh you know on the nose. His mm-hmm. uh his sort of um his 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 shtick around uh you know even that bring the dart to dingle um you know it's uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> industrializing all of ireland's rural areas and ruralizing everywhere else like it was just <laughs> it was unbelievable <laughs> and also the fact that like he was a republican like this is a beloved children's character and he was a typical dublin armchair republican <laughs> this is an important point because recently um, Valerie Loftus, a guest on the show in the past, um, she's the editor of, um, for those of you who don't know her, she's the editor of Stellar Magazine and an alumnus of the Daily Edge, made a very interesting point on Twitter. She's this paragraph from Dustin the Turkey's Wikipedia entry says a lot of why Irish millennials are the way we are. <laughs> and the entry is, his strongly held Republican views led him to publicly confront former colleague Zig and Zag on Two Fats 1998 Christmas special. During the live broadcast, he angrily denounced them for selling out to the Queen and verbally abused both them and co-host Ray Darcy. <laughs> well, I mean, verbally abusing Ray Darcy is fine. That's par for the course. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinary that that, in some ways, because um, he didn't write the Publocked album, that was Ding, ding Dong Denny O'Reilly. Yeah, no, um... 
Dustin's albums included uh, Not Just a Pretty Face, Unplucked, uh, Faith of Our Feathers, Poultry in Motion, and Bling When You're Minging. <laughs> and yes, and he also he's also written a number of books, one of which I was up against in the in the Irish Book Awards in the same <laughs> what, category. You beat him, did you? Well, I trashed him. <laughs> <laughs> I sent him um, licking his licking his feathers. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like he can he can sort of rest easy. I'm just looking up his Wikipedia entry myself here now. He has one, two, three, uh, four, five. Six Irish number one hits. Okay, six six Irish number one hits. Now that, yeah. that's that's extraordinary. How many do you um, picture this have? Oh, um, yeah, you're gonna make me look right through Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah. Picture this, right? Um, to picture this, uh, the band, yeah. Yes. Um, they have uh, a number one album, but they have. Oh shit! <laughs> okay. Picture this have no Irish number one hits. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, not, lads. No, you're, you're welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> but no, we we are that there. That is an extraordinary chart record. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, especially when you consider that it's entirely tongue in cheek. Dustin's first uh, hit single and his debut. Uh, was co-written with Zig and Zag and co-performed with them, and it was called The Christmas Number One, which is just cynical, frankly. <laughs> but he's he, he always had a lot of chutzpah, like even, and this is, we're going to move on shortly, if this was in, in his musical career, is the fact he, um, his Eurovision entry is called Ireland du Zabois. Yeah, we, we try not to speak of those days. I mean... It, but it does it does require a mention specifically because... Like for Dustin, who had never really put a foot wrong in terms of his his finger on the pulse, there was a really misjudged entry, and it was booed by the because other people didn't get it. People in other countries in the Eurovision Song Contest were like, "What the what the heck is this?" A because the puppet is so small on stage, surrounded by so much equipment. And these dancers, it didn't really pop. Yeah, also, like, it was kind of like, we all have this love of Dust and the Turkey ingrained in us. And, you know, he went on to represent Ireland at the 2008 Eurovision Song Contest and won the, he won the Irish Euro Song Competition to get there. Um, But, uh, you know, when he got there, uh, um, people all around the world just looked at this and just went, it's a fucking turkey. It's a bad puppet. Hmm. doesn't have many feathers what is what is the point here what is the joke and also the song was atrocious it was just a a list of in jokes yeah and and this kind of weird self-deprecating humor that just doesn't isn't what eurovision has become over the last 20 years you know in a, in a big way like like there was a sort of a sea change in eurovision when they started bringing in popular vote yeah. That was in and around the time Dana International won for Israel. And all of a sudden, it was no longer about the best written song because it wasn't going to be a panel of musicians and industry experts who were giving you the, the votes. So Ireland's dominance at that stage ended because we'd won it more times than anyone else sending these brilliantly written, well-performed ballads. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we just didn't keep up with the, uh, with the, the you know, basically the what was de rigueur in Eastern Europe and in Scandinavia and the likes. We didn't tailor our entries to fit the Eurovision mould because all of a sudden the ordinary punter was joining. In fact, we went way down the other 
kind of avenue and sent a fucking puppet mm-hmm. of a turkey. Uh, so yeah, I've never agreed with Dana on anything ever, but uh, she was on Eurosong. She was one of the judges, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> she she said that we'd actually be better uh, withdrawing from the competition than sending Dustin the turkey. I think possibly it would have been nice to quit while you're ahead. I think it's, I mean, I think we've entered a new decade. I think this is the decade that Sweden will catch up with us. They've had, they have, they're, they're one win behind us, but they've had three wins a century. We haven't had any wins this century. Uh, yeah. Are we not had any wins this century? When was our last no. one? When was the voice? 1998? I think, I think it was either 97 or 98, but basically yeah. we have, um, like there was, Yes, it would like there's there's fully grown adults walking around who've never lived through a year, an Irish Eurovision win. Oh, lads, you've no idea what you missed. Like it was class. I will say, since, since the popular vote, there haven't been any situations where eight, the the best song was kind of robbed. I think there's been very clear winners for the past ten, ten or so years. You've, like there hasn't been situations like where a, a song like say "Ooh, ah, just a little bit." Um, didn't get many votes, but lots of people went out to buy the single in the countries that didn't vote for it. And it's it's and you know, you didn't have these situations where a single would do well in the charts, but not well in the Eurovision. And with those things, it actually did discredit the competition in the nineties. Yeah, because like it wasn't it wasn't like going to really marketable pop songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was going to it was kind of it was reflecting this sort of for a while. It was reflecting an indie trend uh, almost. Um, maybe like five years behind. But look, at the end of the day, um, Eurovision, it, it's a, it's a, it's an experience. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. class. And, uh, we kind of let ourselves down by, mm-hmm. um, by sending a, a puppet of a turkey. Now, look, like you, you would say, like, you know, quit while you're ahead. You did say that, but it is worth bearing in mind that the previous year we had sent Dervish singing a song written by John Waters and Tommy Moran, and they finished dead last with only five points, relegating us to the semi finals. Us, the greatest country in Eurovision history. It felt almost there was I, that moment, and I remember watching the Eurovision that night. It, it, it there was the same sort of atmosphere in the country as there was after Thierry Henry's handball incident. <laughs> this idea that we, of all countries, would, would live leave the whole competition with no poem, and the idea also that John Waters at the time he was still writing for the Irish Times, and it was a, a very strange situation because I remember the previous year he had entered your song and he put an entry through. My my mother said, "Can you believe John Waters has written a song for the Eurovision? It's about the economy." And we were, and I thought those. It just seemed so incongruous. It was like Fintan O'Toole writing a song for the Eurovision. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit odd, all right. And then uh, the following year, he wrote, and I think the idea was he thought that by writing a song about about the Czech Revolution, you can't stop the spring, is what it's called. And he thought that by writing something about that, that the East European countries would relate to it. And they, well, I mean, Albania did. They were the only ones who voted for it, and they gave us five points. Uh, but they were only a backup jury. So uh, we actually finished with Nulpa and dead last. And to be honest with you, we should have seen at that point, at that moment, that this was a man who would go on to do some questionable thinking in his time and probably would have been best if we just made him persona non grata at that point <laughs> in, instead of waiting for his more recent antics. It's it's an extra, it's a thing because I, I, 
It's a fucking thing, all right. Yeah, it's, it, it it's is. A, it's That's what thing. it is. Like, I personally think that if that if I had entered a song for the Eurovision and it came dead last and around the world, I it probably would have an effect on. It probably would have an effect on my personality and my temperament. Yeah, yeah. I know if I wrote a song for the Eurovision and I finished dead last, I'd probably go full Nazi. <laughs> I'm, maybe not Nazi. But I'm not, I, I mean, not, not that I'm saying that's what John Waters has done. Not no, at all. No, I'm only no. speaking for myself, obviously. Listen, all I know is that, like, I I like Magnus, but I don't like evil Magnus outside the four courts. <laughs> <laughs> I like I mean, Magnus and Galway giant papier mache heads, not medium sized non papier mache heads bobbing up and down inside the courts and it's in a crazy rhythm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I give you that one. That's that's yeah. I'm not saying anything more, just in case Motherfucker has to settle out of court. Well we haven't we haven't said anything about anybody. <laughs> exactly. That's why I'm not saying anything more. How um, do you think nineteen eighty six, by the way, nineteen ninety six was our last win, Emer Quinn. Gosh, yeah, and she takes her out of the gal, bringing over the line. Manus alumnus. Wow, God, she's she's got massive motherfucker potential there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we should get her on the show. <laughs> How do you think Dustin has stayed relevant for as long as he has? Um, lack of alternatives, perhaps. Genuinely, I don't know. Has um, have we have we produced anything similar? I mean. Everything that comes from the same sort of, um, the same sort of stable, has just been timeless. Podge and Raj, Zig and Zag, um, even Ray Darcy somehow inexplicably, just utterly timeless and still popular. It's a, it's the it's a strange thing, and at the funny thing, like I remember when I was in university, there's one of one of his albums. I think they people thought that he was that Justin was beginning to sell out because he had a children's choir in the background and I remember that he had a cover version of there was a popular song in the 90s about a lemon tree I don't know how I don't know why you remember it yesterday you told me about the blue blue sky but all that I can see is just another lemon tree an absolute classic and Justin did a version of that except it's about a Christmas tree yeah and I don't know how I don't know why Santa and his reindeers were able to fly I think that that's just lyrical poetry it's <laughs> absolutely unbelievable I'm sitting here at the side of the road Trying to get rid of this mess of load I tell a Christmas tree to a friend or a foe But it's like selling ice to an Eskimo And no one ever buys one And I wonder In this, the, the Dustin character was playing a guy selling Christmas trees in the Long Mile Road. Well, I mean, you say the Dustin character was playing that. I mean, Dustin was doing that. Yes. He was selling Christmas trees out of his high ace van on the Long Mile Road because that was his Christmas nixer. That was another thing about that was another thing about Dustin. He introduced a generation of uh, children to welfare fraud and the idea of the nixer. Yes. I mean, I was way too young to be learning about nixers and cash in hand payments <laughs> for for jobs done under the table it was it was an extraordinary comment i suppose that it was about the time i think that there was it was probably a lot more widespread you probably didn't have the the various kind of authorities now didn't have the same infra, um, technological infrastructure they have now but it yeah. was i think the, also nobody gave a shite 
And this is the thing. So basically, he would be a cute horror character. It might be the prime most precise way. Yeah, yeah, that is exactly what Dustin is and and was and ever shall be a, a cute hour, uh, in in both senses of of the or in every sense of both words, uh, an absolute cute hour. Tell me this: when do you th- do you know um, when cute hour is first used in print in Ireland? Uh, I don't. I don't know when that was first used in print. Um, I mean, I know it means like a scoundrel. And that, like, it's not necessarily insulting. Kind of, it's it's. But like, that's the thing. Like, the etymology of cute, or like the that that idea of cute to mean sly and clever or shrewd, um, is it's older than the etymology or the the meaning of cute. As in, cute is is good looking. Yes. Um, so I don't know. I I don't know. Do you know when it was first used? Well, I know in the doll, the first time whore was used, as in, as opposed to whore, which is derived from, was actually a debate between uh, Oliver Flanagan and Don O'Malley. All right, and who was the whore in this situation? At this point, um, that was Don O'Malley's explaining Munsterisms to uh, uh, Deputy Flanagan. And he basically, this is Deputy Flanagan, the same man who had declared that there was no sex in Ireland before RTE. And yeah, basically, Deputy, and, Fl- Deputy Flanagan, who had a. a a, a recorded and noted uh, problem with with Jewish people. Um, yeah, and he brought it up, and he brought it up in contexts when it wasn't actually in in completely unrelated debates. It's like people, it, he just he just kept swerving back to it. But basically, yeah. the um, O'Malley explained to this is a, a debate about children's uh, books on the junior enter cert syllabus as it was at the time and he was explaining that to refer to someone as a poor whore or to refer to someone as a poor whore uh, or a poor bastard was different to refer to someone as a whore or a bastard oh yeah because it is it is very different like you know to call someone a whore is is awful but to say someone's a cute whore or a poor whore mm-hmm. is not awful and this is the thing, and then of course, cute horror, and then the first politician, it, it, it first appeared in the Evening Herald, cute horror, and it was an expression about a t- TD called Terry Layden. Oh yeah, in 1983, and it wasn't necessarily critical. It was, it was, it was a, an article. There was been a recent election that said that he basically they described his cute horror in the context that he had a. Um, even though Fianna Fáil had done badly in the election, he had done well on account of his strong reputation, the constituency for fixing things for people. Yeah, cute horrorism. And since then, it's it's really embedded down. But and during the nineties, when these kind of uh, practices were being sh- were a harsher light was being shone on them as as tribunals and things came along, this Dustin was there in the background as a o- occasional political candidate and as a commentator at the same time. Yeah, so he sort of saw all this cute tourism happening, and I suppose I don't even know if um, if Dustin the Turkey would have realised that, like he. Uh, his exaggerated characteristics ended up being the defining characteristics of a lot of the politicians who saw their downfall in the many tribunals of the 1990s and the early 2000s. That's the thing. So tell me now, um, the context, if if there was just a guy, a guy called Brendan, who was saying exactly what Dustin the Turkey was saying, but he didn't have a puppet, he didn't have the mask of a puppet, he wouldn't have gotten away with it and he would have gotten older and people would have noticed what car he was driving and who he's going out with and if he was a landlord and all these sorts of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, somebody would have made a definite attempt to soften his cough if he yeah. was a human. 
Like, there's no doubt about it. It's one of my least favourite things about Ireland is that if you raise your head above the parapets and you point anything out, if you try and shine a light on society and say, look at this, this is what's wrong, mm-hmm. people will look forensically, they will parse every element of your life to try and find some bit where you went wrong. And this is like uh, Richard Boyd Barrett ordering a latte yeah. or Oh no, Brian and Lynn Boylan going out for a nice dinner. It's like, how dare they call themselves socialists? They too choose to live in society. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, so that can't happen with a turkey because mm-hmm. at the end of the show, the puppeteer puts the turkey back in the box. And what are you going to do? You're going to say that the puppeteer's uh, car is too rich, uh, you know, or, or it's too fancy. I mean, he's a fucking puppet. I think this is, this must have been noticed, noticed by a, um, a talented, um, a talented limerick artist, podcaster, philosopher sort, and that I, I think if Blind Boy did not have his mask, and um, people would probably consider his work differently. I think he's been quite clever in the way he's used that. Uh, yeah, I think absolutely. Very hard, to, very hard for him to remove it now. Well, like put it this way: everybody who sort of does this, this any kind of stepping above the parapets and any kind of uh, looking at society, whether for good or for bad, everybody has a persona, mm-hmm. and we've we've seen it. Like we've seen it internationally in in like Stephen Colbert, like that that is a persona. That's an invented personality. Like the guy's real name is Stephen Colbert, but he has this character Stephen Colbert. In order to analyze society and to take pot shots at things, uh, and I think Blind Boy's idea, Blind Boy and Mister Chrome, their idea of kind of hiding their identities to do mm-hmm. it, it's yeah, well, obviously because the last thing you want to be doing is walking around Limerick, you know, uh, after you've either slagged it or said it was brilliant because it's so down to earth and you're so man of the people, and then next thing you're walking around having a latte or you know wearing a nice wearing a nice shirt. Uh, you know, th- th- it just, it doesn't play well. People don't mm-hmm. like it. So the idea that you could do it anonymously or you could do it with a puppet is yeah. brilliant. Or or arguing with a, with, a, with, a, with a bank clerk or something like that. <laughs> do you know who I am? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, these things don't go down well. And then the flip side of the persona is we have, um, in the last election, one of the things was talked that was being talked about was how certain certain politicians around are known, but their first names or their nicknames, uh, and some yeah. some don't. Some people have this recognition. For example, Mary Lou is just Mary Lou. If it was Mary MacDonald, it wouldn't be a thing. The same way that maybe, whereas um, and other politicians, and we see it especially with Boris Johnson, in that he allegedly fluffs up his hair to make himself look a little bit disheveled before meeting the press. Yeah, sure. His name's not even Boris. Like his his mates his mates don't even call him Boris. His best friends call him Alex. His name is Alexander Boris de Feffel Johnson. And the whole thing is a character and the whole thing is an act. And enough people out of 50 million people fell for it. Uh, and it's ridiculous. And he's always been he's always been a really, really obnoxious character and person. But it's the look. Oh, isn't he funny? Yeah, look at his hair. Yeah. Yeah, he's cancelled your benefits, mate. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But look at his hair. Oh, isn't he funny? Yeah. Uh, Hmm. Well, that's our Boris. You know, that's our it? Boris in it. Yeah. What were you going to do? Bring in Jeremy Corbyn. He looks like a divorced geography teacher. He's like, <laughs> all right, mate. Yeah. Well done. But yeah, we do. So Boris, we have a Leo because we don't have many Leos. If I say to you, Leo, you know exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Mary Lou as well. Absolutely. But not so much. Um, like if I said to you, Alan. Yeah. 
you wouldn't think immediately the leader of the Labour Party. No, you. Might, I might think Alan Shatter, the the yeah. former, yeah, the former former. You minister. probably you probably would because you love dirty books. Listen, I love that. I think there's a whole episode to be done on books written by politicians in Ireland, <laughs> specifically <laughs> fiction written by politicians. Now, yeah, I think there definitely is. Yeah, and there definitely is. I, I think a live reading of Laura by Alan Shatter, or at least just the dirty parts. There's Alan Shatter, Maura Gagan Quinn, and Josepha Madigan have all written books, slightly, slightly risque books. Smut. They've written smut. They and this is uh, the funny thing was that like I remember I saw Alan Shatter being interviewed by Ricochet at the Waterford Book Festival a few years ago, and and it was a very good interview. And one of the things was he was so exasperated by being asked about Laura, his book. He said that you know there is one scene in a book that he thought was about politicians having affairs and the, dealing with the consequences and how they make decisions in their private lives compared to how they make decisions for everyone else in Parliament. And he said that, you know, he considered his book to be bang up, bang on the money and quite insightful about a real problem in Irish life. And people just wanted to talk about about how he about how the politician grabbed the secretary in, yeah. in, in Leinster House and rolled no, on the dark there navy was, carpet. There, there was riding. There was no, riding. no, Alan, tell us about the riding. Yes. And then, yes, and it's... It's drifted slightly, but the whole idea is that concepts. The Yeats had an, Yeats had an idea in one of his poems, "The Mask." The idea that creating a mask between the true artist and the audience allows the artist to actually be more honest than they would if they were just talking directly, because you get a there's a different kind of self consciousness comes there, and there is a connection in that sense between Yeats and Dustin the Turkey. Yeah, yeah. So you might say he's like the true spiritual heir to William Butler Yeats. I just realised Dustin the Turkey. Uh, he did. He was bang on the money about Bob Geldof way before the rest of the world realised what a massive dose uh, he was. <laughs> With me. Listen, Bob, if anyone's taking a walk here, boss, it's you. It's misery. Misery? You be the one you haven't stopped whinging since you got here. You can get lost, get up the air, you smell of envy. In, in 1996, in December 1996, uh, he, he did a cover of the Boomtown Rats song Rat Trap. Oh, yeah. Uh, and basically, like Bob Geldof was, I mean, to be fair to Sir Bob, he was given it socks, really trying to sing the song the way he did in the 80s when it first came out. And Dustin the Turkey was just ripping the piss uproariously out of him. And yes. and in almost every other country in, in the world, the Christmas number one spot went to the Spice Girls with two become one. But in Ireland, Rat Trap by Bob Geldof featuring Dustin the Turkey. And it made the made the news. So, oh, Spice yeah. Girls didn't quite didn't quite just serve it over in, in Ireland. I remember that there's a, there's a line in there's a line in Rat Trap. Like, Billy says in this town, everybody just make you follow rules. And then at that point, Dustin, yeah, like taking a wash every now and then, Bob. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unreal. Like, I don't know if we've ever had a character like that since. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He would remind me of. Do you remember the early days of Ali G yeah. on Channel Four? Like when he was sent to America to talk to conservatives or when he, when he went up to the north, when he went up to Belfast yeah. and was talking to, to unionists, he's going like, is you Irish? No, I, I'm British. Is you on holiday? 
Like it's just that, that kind of that total irreverence. And the fact yeah. is that the character allows it. Mm. In Ali G's case, because he's a youth TV presenter, so he's street and with it. Mm. And in, in the case of Dustin the Turkey, it's a fucking turkey. Yeah. Like what what are you gonna do? Lose your shit and storm off the stage because a turkey slagged you? Like, I'm sorry, but you have to sit there and take it. That's part of the the appeal. You certainly do. You do certainly have to take it from a turkey. So, um, God, before we wrap up, I'm just trying to think now. Is uh, I'll tell you where we go because, yes, like you, you mentioned um, gas and the use of gas as like to mean a bit of crack, and that's yeah. what got you on this road. The first citation for the usage in that context actually is Irish, and it comes from James Joyce in 1914 in Dubliners in a short story called An Encounter. Oh. Uh, Mahoney says that he's brought along a slingshot to have some gas with the birds. So I think oh. that ties us up nicely because Dustin was a gas man. He didn't need a slingshot to have some gas with that bird. He certainly did not need any slingshot to have some gas with that bird. And on that note, Pater, thank you for joining me in this consideration on a major national finger. I do think one day there will be a portrait of Dustin in the National Gallery. Oh, is, is there not one already? There absolutely should be. I mean, like, and they're talking a lot about problematic statues over in the US and we have our own list of problematic statues over here we got rid of some of them but we've held on to the ones i think just put up a statue of dustin the turkey he's done more for this country from that than many of us he certainly has <laughs> but like it has to be from the waist up because he's yeah, a puppet you, nobody wants to see dustin's legs <laughs> nobody wants to see that has anyone but, seen dustin's legs i don't know <laughs> wait 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 oh, go on your good thing wow go on just was go on your good thing to that predate Dustin? I'd say so, yeah. I mean Dustin was just kind of saying things that were um that were in the in in the vernacular, they were in the spoken and like this is the thing, like that there are very few records of a lot of stuff in slang. Like I mean, think about growing up in Dublin and like all of the all of the words that, that I would have heard but never seen written down ever. Mm-hmm. Like, like there was a noise that you said whenever someone who was acting cool or throwing shapes, and originally it was wah, and then wah. that became that became schwah. Mm. I don't know how to spell that. I don't know how to spell schwah. Yeah, you know, because it's never been recorded and it's probably gone now, and kids don't say it anymore. But Dustin the turkey said stuff that was said at the time. So go on, you good thing, get up the yard. You're only joking. Like it's yeah. it's now you're sucking diesel. Yeah, sucking days on that. That's that had a new, had a new life in um, that. What's that? What's that English show called again? With the one with the cops, so um, Line of Duty. All right, yeah. you give him gonna don't give me spoilers of the last season because like I won't. I, it's not on Netflix yet. All I'm saying is that sucking diesel is the expression used by Adrian Dunbar. Who'd have thought? Oh yeah, who plays a, an Irish cop? Yeah, 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 yeah he get this yeah. career defining role so kind of um, late in his like in his career after being around, always being around, being that guy and that thing, suddenly becoming you know getting this like absolute iconic character. Happy from ah, delighted for Adrian. Excellent. So we'll we'll leave him we'll we'll there. We'll fair, let him have the last laugh. <laughs> To, to, to Adrian Dunbar, we say, go on, you good thing. Go on, you good thing. <laughs> Get out of that garden. <laughs> so, until the next time, Macarja, it's a slant from me. And it's a slant from you. Mind yourselves. Folklore is a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network and comes out every Friday. It's available on headstuff.org or wherever you get your podcasts. So 
rate, recommend, review, let people know all about Mother Folklore and that we have a Patreon now. If you want exclusive access to subscriber-only recordings or Q&A sessions or email feedback from the cast and crew of Mother Folklore, uh, just check the show notes for the URL of our Patreon account and all support is appreciated. Uh, thanks as always to Kirsten for the amazing artwork and to Brian for producing. Um, we'll see you next time. Slangerfall. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Ah, oh, bollocks. It's org, isn't it? It is org, isn't it?